Welcome, Knights of the Rolled Table, to our first episode of How to D&D. So this is a four-part series with two intentions. One, if you've never played Dungeons & Dragons before, we are going to go through with a newer player and uh, explain how it works and go through a little adventure and talk about player creation over the course of those four episodes. But if you just want to hear an adventure and you already know and or don't care really the details of how the rolling and the rules work, you can skip right ahead to uh, episode one of Adventure One and listen to our ongoing story there. So this first episode talks about the uh, basics of what Dungeons & Dragons is, and we quickly pick a character for our, uh, our friend Jessica, who we are explaining to and learning along the way. But there is one other... Uh, if you already know Dungeons & Dragons, another reason to listen to this series is we talk a lot about how to introduce somebody to the game with the emphasis of... Not too much, basically give them the minimum amount they need to jump in and start playing. And you can explain things along the way because that's people will process information better that way. And they're much more likely to um, enjoy enjoy the first session and kind of learn along the way. And uh, I think Jessica did and it went very well. So uh, we're excited to have you join us. This is Knights of the World Table. Today, I will be hosting, and I will be the Dungeon Master, and my name is Zach Stones, and with me is... Hi, I'm Jessica Burtness. Hi, my name is Jen Crespo. Hi, my name is Weston Gardner. Yeah, so Jess has played just a little bit. We're going to ask her to play dumb to some extent to go along with those of you who are listening who really have never played and just want to get started, so she's going to be do her best to ask questions along the way, and watch out for you guys who are listening and figuring out all of the terms and the tedium for the very first time. We have two goals for this podcast, two audiences in mind. So I described earlier, if you don't yourself want to learn Dungeons and Dragons, this is for you. But also, there's a lot of folks out there that do know Dungeons and Dragons and want to teach other people and you've either tried that and it didn't go that well and the person didn't seem that interested or you want to try that and you're not sure where to go. So we're also going to talk a lot about tips and pointers for introducing other people to Dungeons and Dragons with some ideas that really aren't unique to Dungeons and Dragons, really unique to teaching anybody anything new. And the theme around that is less is more. Yeah, so basically you want to explain to the person the very minimum amount of stuff that they need to know in order to start playing and then play a little bit and they'll realize, oh, I have a question about this. You explain that on and on and on. So we're going to try to keep it clean and smooth like that. And we're going to ask Jessica, basically, when we start rambling, when we start ranting and she's not quite sure what terms we're using or why we're talking about this, we're going to charge her to speak up about that and get us to either move on or clarify or whatever. So Jessica, you ready for that? Ready. So the first thing we need to know for this is uh, Jessica needs a character. We're going to do this a little bit unconventionally in that I'm not going to go through a big character building 
process with Jessica because she doesn't know what the game is. And so she'll probably get a lot more involved in creating a character that really feels like hers once she has played a little bit and experimented a little bit and cast a few spells or whatever. So we're going to really quickly assign her a level one character. And I have some pre-made character sheets for each of those. And then we're going to play for a little bit. And then at the end of the whole series, at the end of the process, after we do a little one-shot adventure, then at the end, we'll go through a more detailed character building uh, process with her. So I've written a little quiz. It's got six questions. And we're just going to kind of conversationally talk to Jessica about uh, her feelings on each of these. And based on that, we're going to narrow down what might be a good class for her to start with. And the first one is, I am most inspired by A, nature, B, religion, C, intelligence, or D, impressive athleticism. Ooh, that's a tough one because I'm a massive Gaston fan. So <laughs> I, I want to go with the last one. However, I think my true nature is intelligence, or what I'm impressed with, not my own. Hmm, what class would Gaston be? That's an interesting <laughs> question. Maybe a little ranger, but jerk ranger? I'm not sure. Barbarian. That's important <laughs> yeah. to know. Yeah, a, a piece of, of picking a character, a big kind of question is like, do I want to play a character that's a lot like me, or do I want mm. to role play a character that's not a lot like me? So it really comes down to like whatever you're feeling like. And this really comes down to like, today I want to play a smart character. I want to play a kind of a hippie, druidy character or whatever. So don't feel too much pressure also because it's just your character for today. So you basically, I'm going to take that you did reference intelligence is important and mm -hmm. you reference impressive, intelli in, uh, impressive athleticism mm -hmm. might also be important. So in a fight, I prefer to, now you probably don't get in a lot of fights in your day-to-day -day <laughs> life, but this is character-wise. Do you know Jessica? <laughs> in a fight, I prefer to A, charge in, swinging a sword or axe, the bigger the better. B, shoot magic at something. C, hang back and pick an important target with a bow or stealth weapon. Or D, support the team through healing and boosting their abilities. Where's your instincts go? Ooh, another tough one deciding between running and swinging and staying back and shooting a bow and arrow. So if I'm thinking about my character, um, I'm going to go bow and arrow. Mm, okay. So, yeah, no right answers. So both the fact that both of those appealed to you and other ones didn't. No right answers? We should have taken no bets. No wrong answer. <laughs> All of them are wrong. No wrong answer. You don't have to choose one right answer. We so. should have taken bets before we started this because I, oh, I have some thoughts on where we're going to wind up with you. We'll break it down afterwards. Uh, number three, when there is danger, my first priority is to A, protect myself, B, protect my team, C, protect the innocent. Uh, protect my team. Cool. You guys are my team. Yeah. Number four, I am most interested in gaining A, treasure. I want the finer things. B, skills and items to enhance my abilities. C, respect. D, power. Oh, power or treasure. Mm. Uh, I'm going to go power. Power. Power in the number one spot. Treasure in the number two spot. Mm -hmm. Cool. Five, I am most comfortable in A, a dive bar, B, a palace, C, the woods, or D, a church. Definitely palace. <laughs> so comfortable there. <laughs> Get in my throne, young one. 
Cool. And our, our last question here. You are hired to retrieve a precious ring that has been stolen by ogres, and you have tracked them to their hideout. Which plan sounds the best to you? A, sneak in and steal the ring back without being noticed. B, walk in confidently and demand the ring be returned as there is no need for a fight. C, run in screaming and start the fight with the element of surprise and confusion. D, shoot a fireball in there and burn them all. Or E, wait for your friends to screw this up and then bail them out. Uh, Tough choice between the last two, but uh, as you started talking, I immediately, you know, thought about locking the door and burning their little hot down. So, Holy cow. Uh, you know, it depends what, what uh, heat the ring melts at. Lots of things to consider, but I'm going to go fireball. I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's see what we got. Some interest in both athleticism and intelligence. Both interest in close range melee combat and uh, hanging back and shooting from a distance, which is not necessarily something you have to choose between, so that'll work well. Protection of your team. Uh, gaining treasure and power, hanging out in a palace. So we'd see kind of a high status type of character. And uh, shooting a fireball in there, plus also like bailing your team out once they once they uh, blow it. So um, let me throw this to Jen and Wes. And based oh on listening to her, like what classes come to mind that might go well for her? I mean, <sighs> this is it, it, it's tough because we're thinking a smart character who is also a good fighter, who is also higher class. My, I mean, like maybe I'm just biased because I love the class, but I'm thinking warlock just mm-hmm. because like you'll mess things up. I'm trying to self censor right now and keep <laughs> this PG. Um, but also, like, just the kind of the, the power that comes with that is uh, pretty fun. But I might just be biased because I think they're one of the best classes in the game. So that's my thought. Although I, I think you would also have a lot of fun with uh, Barbarian. But that's a little less <laughs> high status class. <laughs> well, there's definitely certainly key to somebody playing the game is uh, what's going to be easiest to grasp today. But also, we want to talk about how magic spells works and all sorts of things. I think maybe the key question for you, Jess, is do you want to, do you feeling more like a fighting class or you want some magic or kind of like a mix of both? Mm-hmm. I think magic. All right. It just sounds fun. I might actually go sorcerer for you then. Sorcerer is a little oh, bit more yeah. straightforward uh, than like wizard is like you have 18 spells that you have to look through and memorize and sorcerers like here's like four I mean, warlock would actually be a good choice too because There's they have the fighting th- and you only have a couple spells yeah but you have cantrips i like your idea jen that's my thought Plus, how many classes are there this was a very good question and we were very wrong the first time we answered it so the actual answer is there are 12 classes and there were those 12 classes that were released in the original uh player's handbook but each of those classes has a bunch of subclasses within it and various choices you have to make. You choose what spells your character learned and all sorts of things depending on the class so that two characters that could have a very different, uh, two characters that are technically the same class may look very, very different because they have different subclasses and stuff like that. So there's lots and lots of customization. Well, let's for now do 
They got swords and stuff. I'm going to hand you a warlock sheet. So this has a bunch of stats on it. Um, and it also has a pre-assigned race of tiefling, which you don't have to stick to if you want to switch to something else. We're not going to worry too much about background and decisions. So during our adventure day, if you you can ask in the middle of things like, "Can I be more like this?" and we can be like, "Yeah, let's <laughs> okay. let's uh, let's retcon." And but tieflings now you're a, are awesome yeah, too. Tieflings are awesome. And what is a, a tiefling? A bit hard to explain. All right, a- briefly. Totally. Weston, tiefling is in two sentences. <laughs> Tell her what a tiefling is. Half devil, half human. Oh, oh nice. So they have horns and tails. They tend to have like little weird things where they can like cast fire at somebody who just hit them. They're they're a very interesting class. They have weird colored skin. So you get a class like a warlock or a sorcerer, sorcerer or a barbarian, and that says like what you can do. But then, can any race be a class? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And then you get you get like special abilities based on your race and your class. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. So let's see. I'm going to hand you this. It's going to have a lot of stats. So I'm handing her a character sheet right now of a pre-made tiefling warlock. And uh, at the top of it, you see, uh, I think first decision to make is to name your character. Oh my gosh, Zach, you typed this? This is amazing. <laughs> There's a little PDF <laughs> It was fun. Well, I've spent many hours thinking about uh, my name since you guys asked me to do this podcast because <laughs> naming things is my my favorite. And I'm going to go with Lyra. L-Y-R-A. L-Y-R-A. Sure. Put it on up there. We'll remember that. And in terms of like why I have these materials in this little quid and pre-made sheets is I've done a fair amount of DMing with kids, at-risk youth and other just like... Hyper kids that want to get in there and jump in and do it. And so my ability to try to really, really quickly before I lose attention spans, uh, point kids in the right direction to start playing has been developed with various resources and stuff. So we've got a warlock we're going to be adventuring with. She is level one. So Weston and Jen mm-hmm. need characters to go along with that. Jen's going to take Let's my little stack of characters. All right. We got a warlock, so... I mean, one of us needs to be some kind of healer so that we all don't die. Whether that's a druid or something else. You know me, I love a good cleric. But then again, so do you, so. I do, I do love clerics quite a bit, actually. She's got. Although Paladin. Paladin can do some stuff. Paladin could fill. Because we are just a three person group, but Paladin could fill a lot of those voids because you could basically tank and also offer heals post combat. That is true. Throwing that out there. Although I tend to also be from the uh, point train of thought that uh, if you kill them first, they mm-hmm. can't hurt you. Oh, <laughs> so all D- DPS all day. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, you know it worked out really well in my that dating life too. So, <laughs> so they're thinking through just basic any sort of group adventuring process that everybody specializes a little bit based on you're going to be a warlock is a magic casting character usually not good at getting hit a lot so they Mm -hmm. tend to are probably going to default towards hanging in the back and shooting spells like that fireball question Mm. so the leftover roles in a party is somebody should probably be able to do some heals somebody should probably be able to like stand up in the front and take the damage and at level one, you die very fast. Mm-hmm. You can die from falling out of a tree. So there's... <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> do not climb trees. Yeah. So what do we got? You know, I, I like your idea of Paladin quite a bit, Jen. Do it. Do it. 
Okay, I'm going to pull out the Paladin here. She's grabbing Paladin. Jen, where are you at? Oh, there's so many options. You've given me too much. Um, <laughs> you, you know literally what? took my stack of character sheets out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> as quickly as she possibly could. I feel like your judgment is not helping the situation just, just right now. Um, you know, would it be too much if uh, I went ahead and did? I love playing clerics. Do it. And then that way we've got a couple, because you're doing paladin. A paladin, a cleric, and a warlock walk into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes off. Where did that cleric go? Or did you have the cleric? Uh, I took the cleric over here. You know what? We can't be trusted. Ah, right. so you did hide it from me. I did That's hide it what we got. Me. Jen's going to be a cleric. Weston's going to be a paladin. So uh, there was those questions mixed into this quiz earlier about religion and uh, where you got comfortable in a church. So they've both taken characters that derive some magical power from divine influence. Um, so they have a god or multiple gods that they get power to. Usually in the world of Dungeons and Dragons, there's it's like a pantheon. There's multiple gods out there. So mm. some person might pray to a specific type of god it might be a nature god a trickster god a good person a bad person there's a lot of specialization think of like greek gods and stuff like that but that actually segues into a good point about what is dungeons and dragons in general because often that's the case in dungeons and dragons but really any given game should really be up to the players playing it so you can make your own world you can figure it out and what i really like about the current concept of Dungeons and Dragons is even the company that makes it really tries to default to like, this is your game. Mm -hmm. There's all these rules that you can know and you can adjudicate most things both based on the rules. But if it comes up at the table while you're playing and you're not sure, the dungeon master can just make a decision. Don't waste a lot of time paging through book through books. Mm -hmm. Make a call. Have fun. You're in charge. This is your game. And that's a theme I really, really like. So to back way up in terms of what is a role-playing game, what is Dungeons & Dragons, I really think of it as a, a collaborative storytelling experience. Some misconceptions a lot of people have about it. One, is, I find, is they think it's a video game. They think it's screens. They think it's technology. And it is the ultimate, like, pen and paper. You don't necessarily need any technology. It's about making up a story with your friends, with imagination, and a little bit of math. It's something that... Uh, there's a lot of awesome skills about it that the technology does help with the math though if you are mm -hmm. you can challenged. do you can have technology <laughs> I like two out of you can have three apps. things <laughs> math is hard so in terms of I mean it's not high level math <laughs> basically basic addition is the main skills but sometimes subscrap subtraction that gets in the way but um so in terms of how it is it collaborative storytelling, there's basically three factors involved. And my kind of philosophy about playing is you should really be pushing for those three factors to be in balance in crafting your story. The first one is the person in charge running things in Dungeons & Dragons. That's traditionally called the Dungeon Master. There's some problems with that term. The main one is you're not in dungeons very often. <laughs> so a lot of some game systems call it the Game Master. There's also the term master, which I feel like I don't really feel very in charge and Zach, in control. That is my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> Some people love it. 
But, you know, you don't want a, a, a power-hungry dungeon master that feels like they need to be in control of everything in the time. Sometimes that can stifle some improvisation. So mm-hmm. it's important for this the dungeon master role to be. So actually, you know, based on that, like, I don't know if I love the term dungeon and master. If I named it, it would probably be something like story runner or game runner, something like that. What You're like facilitator? Dungeon yeah, yeah, yeah. mister. Mm-hmm. Dungeon mister, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just um, fixed it. <laughs> But the basic role is to explain the world, explain the situation. Okay, so you're in a room, you walk in the front door, there's two guards and a treasure chest there, and you see them. They're looking at you, and there's also a staircase up to a balcony level. What do you do? And that brings us to the second factor, which is the players. And in terms of what do you do in Dungeons & Dragons, it really should be whatever you want. And today we're really going to fall back on you just saying, like, what do you want to do in this situation? You tell us what you want to do, and then we'll explain how that fits in the rules and how that fits into whatever. Um, Because it's not all combat. It's puzzling things. It's role-playing. It's talking to people. You could feasibly have a lot of fun in a whole campaign without any combat where you just talk to people Mm -hmm. and make friends and create alliances and move things around without hitting them. There's puzzles and it's really, you know, different groups will tend towards different different types of play. So I'll make some decisions and let you tell me if it works or not. Yes, for sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's actually you just explained the whole player DM dynamic. That's so, exactly correct. Uh, way to go. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So you say what you want to do and I'll tell you, okay, roll this sort of skill, and that will help us determine whether that was successful or not. You can throw out a crazy idea, and the answer should always be, you can try that. <laughs> Even if, like, logically, that will probably lead to certain death, but I don't know. <laughs> Give it a shot. You can always try. You should be in control of that, and that's part of keeping the balance. And a, a, a good game is going to be based on, like, your players are going to tell you things that you are not expecting, and a great dungeon master should be like, Okay, let's go in that direction instead, rather than feel like... Yes, and... No, I was planning to go this way, and now you guys are going this way, and i got to drag you back onto the path that Mm. I was going (laughs) to go on. That's not going to work. My favorite thing. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes their ideas are way better than mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, you get really cool moments out of this, and a lot of us know each other in, in real life through improv, so I want... We're definitely going to try to tend towards, like, uncharted territory ending up places that none of us were expecting to go. And that's where the third factor really comes into play, because even if the players and the dungeon master really want the same thing to happen and we're all charging there, there's also the dice. Mm. So when you decide to do something, you're typically going to roll a die to see if it works out. Frequently, that's going to be your D20 dice. You have one of these in front of you. It has the most sides. It's the most roundish. Mm-hmm. And so most things are going to be attached to some sort of skill. You're going to roll the dice, and based on what it turns up, one out of 20, that's going to determine how successful you were in that. My dice master. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so your character is good at certain skills and not good at other skills. You have a little list of skills here, mm. and you can see on your character sheet certain things you're extra good at. Your character has a plus four to investigation. So if you want to investigate something, you're going to roll that d20, but then you're going to add four to whatever comes up, reflecting that your character is smartened and is especially good at investigating. Cool. 
So in terms of like that crafting the story, like I was saying before, like sometimes the players are going this way and that's the way the dungeon master expected them to go. And then somebody makes a roll and it's really good or really bad. And that's going to drag the story in its own direction. And the fun of letting things go off course because of a random die roll is also a lot of fun and to be embraced. Mm -hmm. So let's, uh, we're about ready to get started. So the one thing on your stat sheet I wanted to point out to you before we get going is the main stats along the left here. So on her sheet, there's basically six big boxes and those are your six basic stats. You have strength, dexterity, constitution, wisdom, intelligence, and charisma. So those are basically a kind of a cool set of stats because basically anything you want to do can fall into the category of one of those six basic skills. And your character is good at some of those and not as good as some of those. The first thing that's a little bit, well, one of the things that's actually most confusing about learning Dungeons and Dragons in the first time is specifically fifth edition is each of those stats are out of 20. And we never really use that number out of 20. In 5th edition, it immediately gets converted into another number, which actually uh, affects your rolls, which I think is because previous editions were really attached mm. to that 20 number. But I just need to know, so, so what a, do these numbers do? There's a big number on your sheet, which is the number you're going to be look at. So you have, your character has, uh, we'll start with dexterity, a 12 dexterity. So 10 is about average. An average person has 10 dexterity. That's in terms of like coordination, ability to jump, stuff like that. Your character's a little above average. There are 12. And so that's going to convert every two above is going to give you a plus one modifier every two below 10. So if you had an eight, you'd have negative one. Your character has a negative one to strength and plus one to dexterity. Is this something the dungeon mister can just tell me as I roll and as I go along? Or do I need to, like, know this? We'll tell you as you go, because when you tell us what to do, we'll look at your character sheet and say, like, okay, so you're going to roll this and you're going to add four based on this. Eventually, that's something you'd know real easily looking at your sheet. Mm -hmm. So, strength, pretty straightforward what strength means. Dexterity is covers things like sleight of hand, acrobatics, sneaking around. Those are dexterity. Constitution, you have good constitution, plus two to constitution. That determines how much damage you can take, resistance to poison, stuff like that. Intelligence, you have a plus two also. You got a smart character. That's why you're good at investigation. Wisdom, you have a 10. You just have average wisdom. And you have really good charisma. So interesting to talk for a minute about the difference between intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. Intelligence is like your, your book knowledge, your ability to learn things and figure out things and absorb information. And wizards cast spells based on their intelligence. Wisdom is more of your like awareness in the moment, noticing things around you, noticing what might be motivating people, being kind of connected with nature. That's wisdom. Clerics and druids, they cast spells based on their wisdom. Charisma. Charisma is a little bit of a confusing term also because some things that fall under charisma what we think of that word, but there's also things like uh, intimidation is a charisma skill. So basically the way charisma means uh, 
ability to interfacing. Yeah. Basically emotional intelligence, your ability to affect the behavior of other people. So persuading people, performing well, intimidating, those are all charisma skills in lying. Lying. Yes. Mm -hmm. The deception is another one that falls under charisma and you as a warlock cast using your charisma skills. So your plus three there will affect your ability to cast spells. Because you, your magic just comes from your own uh, uh, conviction in that you just kind of winging it. Mm. <laughs> You're not like a wizard or something where you studied a bunch of spell books. It just comes from you just demand it to happen, which I think is very fitting for you. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I, I really like to think of charisma as like this this will, the the ability to push through things, the ability to uh, just that, that idea of, of will. And yeah, you kind of will things into existence. You have this connection with this outer worldly being, being a warlock. So there's there's that will, there's that connection, there's that devotion. Um, Which you're actually playing a paladin, which is a similar, because he also casts with charisma. Mm. Paladins, for them, it's instead of like a demonic or whatever, it's it's a god, but it's basically very similar mechanics. Yeah. (laughs) It's fun. So something that's probably important to choose about your warlock character is the thing that's specific about warlocks makes them different than other casters is they have like a pact. They have this connection with an otherworldly powerful being like a god or a demon or something big, a very powerful fairy or something. And you get your power through your connection with that being. And you also have like a relationship with that being. So they might come to you and say, okay, here's what I need you to do. That might be troublesome at some point in the campaign. But It's basically on par with like having sold your soul. You don't always have to have sold your soul to something demonic or evil. But usually that's kind of weird. That's kind of the norm. You paid a price uh, well, to get your power. Nothing's free. Yeah. But uh, but what a power it is. Yeah, I mean, that goes a, lo- a big into how you role play a uh, warlock is who who have you made this pact with? And also, as you start to figure out a character, like what led your character down that path that they decided they wanted to make this path? And it might not also always be a being of pure evil. Sometimes they're good or kind of neutral or, you know, just kind of out for themselves. And so... You know, it's basically a boss. It's a boss. Your boss might be kind of a jerk. Your boss boss might. Are you saying that warlocks are like the bureaucrats? <laughs> Maybe spiritual bureaucrats. Yeah. So your boss workers. might not always order you to do things you're thrilled about doing. It's not necessarily evil unless your boss is evil. So, based on that kind of idea, does anything kind of come to mind in terms of what sort of creature you might see Lyra pledging herself to? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, I think that there is, I would like to think, a difference between evil and like a trickster. Mm-hmm. So I see her pledging herself more to someone who is into mischief and tricks rather than pure evil domination. Cool. So we'll just leave it there. We don't need to define too much, but that concept that you have this very powerful being who is about mischief, and that's going to sort of impact how you sort out situations. That's plenty for today. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so I think with that, we're going to just jump into an adventure. And like I said, we'll explain the details of how to play as we need that information in the adventure. Any questions you want to ask before we jump in? Um, do I talk in third person about her or as her? Ooh, good question. Personal uh, preference. <laughs> personal preference. I mean, like, I'll usually, when I'm describing, like, for me personally, what I like to do is, like, when I'm describing actions, I'll usually kind of either start in third person and eventually, like, sometimes I'll slide into, like, well, I do da-da-da-da-da, but then, you know, we will talk as these characters um, eventually, so then obviously that portion would be first person. Yeah, I, I ideally, I as a DM, I really like it when my characters speak in first person mm -hmm. because then they're there in the moment. You know, they are embodying that character. But again, it's it start start where you are. Mm -hmm. um, don't worry about that. You know, uh, you'll find what's comfortable. Okay. Yeah, so much of what is Dungeons and Dragons comes down to like, what do you guys do? Comes down to well, it depends a lot on your group. Your dungeon yeah. master. So some groups would be super intensive into role play, maybe even enforcing like, hey, say that is your character, character voices and all of that. Some groups maybe do none of that. They just don't want to. And they just describe my character does this. Us being a lot of improv folks, we probably get into more characters and stuff comfortably than some groups do. But all of that is open. All of that is open. The default should be it's whatever your group wants to do. Mm -hmm. 